Hey everyone, I'm Brendan with CrazedPilot.com, and I wanted to let you know about our latest cockpit audio recording cable we've just released for the brand new GoPro Hero 3 and Hero 3 Plus video cameras. In fact, I'm using one of these cables right now to record this in our airplane. You can see our camera and iPhone cockpit audio recording cables by visiting CrazedPilot.com forward slash S-M-A-C. By visiting that link, a portion of any purchase you make goes to help keep your crew with the Stuck Mike Av on the air, recording podcasts for us to enjoy every single month. So thanks again, and enjoy the rest of your flight with the Stuck Mike Avcast. The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 60, precision GPS approaches, mid-air collisions, parachutes, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Abcast. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation insomniacs. <laughs> <laughs> you can always count on Rick with the great sound effects. <laughs> I'll, I'll, just, I'll just keep going now. <laughs> our, uh, our first sleepyhead, all the way from his studio in Tampa, Mr. Carvalari. Welcome back to the show, sir. Oh, thanks. It's uh, it's great to be back. I had a wonderful couple of weeks off and uh, enjoyed the honeymoon. I actually got to see some airports, too. You went to airports on your honeymoon, that poor bride of yours. I know, I know. She let me actually pass by one and, and <laughs> run inside and look at an airplane, and then I ran out. But uh, ran. no, we had a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, it's funny because during the honeymoon, I... I uh, Took her out on the boat and went out to an island out here in Tampa Bay. And I was like, oh, look, hon, look at the shark. And that's probably the wrong thing to say when you're sitting in a small boat <laughs> with a huge shark next to you. But uh, we had a wonderful time. It was actually an awesome wedding. And, and by the way, thanks to everybody that's uh, sent me congratulations via email, Twitter, Skype, and Facebook. I do appreciate it. It was, it was a grand time. We had a lot of fun on the beach. Yes, yes, and uh, I think, I don't remember if we included it, but if you've got that video link, we can always share yeah, it whenever it's, that's uh, once I will, once I figure out what the problem is with it. It won't play <laughs> right now, so uh, all the other ancillary videos do, but not the long one. I guess maybe I hit a limit or something, I'm not uh, sure. Maybe but it was been, really, really cool, it was awesome. You've been banned. I, I have been banned. I mean, it was just, it was, it's interesting, though, how, how technology can allow you to do these things. I mean, uh, look at, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, you know, later with uh, airplane accidents, et cetera, where we can videotape just about everything we do these days. Mm -hmm. And you can share it all over the world. Friends from all over the world got to see the wedding. And that was, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Really awesome. Well, uh, it's good to have you back. We, uh, we, we missed you last time. Uh, next, we have Victoria Zyko from her massage chair studio down in Maryland. Nice to have you this evening. 
I'm in the massage chair. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. Massage chair studio. Yeah, I'm you not know. In the massage chair. Well, you could be. I was, you know. You would hear it. It would. There would be it's quite loud. And noises, and it just wouldn't be right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you. I understand your puppy sitting once again while the husband is out uh, gallivanting around in the satellite truck. I know. Seriously, it's just rude. And um, Turbo uh, has been very noisy because he demands all the attention the second <laughs> you know, I'm staring at this computer and he hears your voices and is like, why aren't they talking to me? Well, so. yeah. Well, hello, Turbo. Say hello. Speak. speak. Or not. Now he doesn't. Now he's, he yeah, now he's now. Not, not a peep. <laughs> not a peep. Uh, shy dog. Well, uh, it's yeah. good to have you. Uh, Sean uh, Moody from his spare bedroom studio in Kentucky. Happy to have you with us today. And you almost didn't make it, actually. Glad to be here. Yeah, the day job had me running around uh, many places today. So <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going to be here, but here I am and glad to be here not on the road. Yeah, very good. Uh, very good. And uh, finally, Mr. Rick Felty joining us from yes. his attic studio high above yes. the Boston skyline. <laughs> exactly. Under a roof full of leaves. Uh, yes. Great to be here. Another fun show. And it's good good to have everybody around. And, and Carl, welcome back. It's great to have you. That's yeah, right. Thanks, Rick. I, I, I missed uh, being here, but I uh, had to do something well, important get married. Yes, you but... did. And the, the <laughs> picture, everything looked great. I didn't see the video, but the pictures online... Uh, that I did see looked like an amazing location. So oh yeah, it was Very it was cool. a blast. That's actually where we hang out all the time, and, and we said let's let's do it here, and nice. uh, it, we put it together within a month's time. Just uh, wow. said hey, you know let's have a let's have a wedding on the beach in a month from now. What could go wrong? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> believe me, I have spent many nights being an insomniac, uh, just trying to figure out how to get everything coordinated. Right. Finally, had to hire that's, someone to help out. That's plenty of time to plan. Come on, Carl. <laughs> plenty. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then work and all that stuff and be away. So I, right. I just let somebody else do it. But it was <laughs> well. It was, that's actually smart. Nice. I you know it's hard to do it to pay attention to all the details when you're in the thing, too. Right. So it's nice nice to have somebody but, else watch it watching your back. What's funny is I went to work like three or four days later, and and I'm flying around. The guy's like, "Well, when did you get married?" Uh, let me look. And I'm looking at my watch. He says. Wait a minute! You're looking at your watch. What are you doing here? You should be on your honeymoon. I said, "Well, I did. I went on the honeymoon for three days, and uh, you know where we went to Tampa Bay. We just like it so much here. You know, when you live in nice. paradise, why why move away and, and go on the honeymoon? You know, <laughs> but we will. We're we're definitely going to go on a, on a honeymoon next year. Maybe fly around the islands or something like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Something proper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, great. Uh, once again, I'm Len Costa, joining you from my hot tub recording studio, which is much more dangerous than it sounds. And this is episode number 60. And the band's all back together. Hey. <laughs> Let's do the pre-flight. Starting off today, we've got a couple of announcements. Carl, tell us uh, your announcement. Oh, yeah. We um, actually coming up on January 1st, we're going to have the, uh, the centennial of commercial flight. Imagine that. It's uh, in 1914, there was the first commercial flight from St. Petersburg downtown to Tampa, Florida. And it was in a uh, boat, in a uh, seaplane, I should say, an amphibious plane. And uh, it was uh, the, the mayor of St. Petersburg actually won an auction to be the first passenger on that on that airline flight. And by the way, there was only enough room for 
one passenger and things have come a long way from from that time with an average speed of about 60 miles an hour it went across the bay and connected the uh, the cities so it really was the the, the birth of the global airline industry it was right here in uh, St. Pete area and they're going to have a a flight now I, I haven't found out if this is going to happen with uh, Kermit Weeks who has a a airplane over at Fantasy of Flight a replication of the airplane that flew that day the the Benoit, it's actually I I think they're they're almost done with it and are going to have a hundred percent. In other words, going to have the exact same engine and everything in the aircraft to fly from St. Pete to Tampa. Well, they don't make the engine anymore, so he's actually having one manufactured uh, to be able to do that flight. Not sure if it's going to happen, uh, but knowing Kermit Weeks, he'll probably probably put something together there. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, the Albert Wooded Airport Preservation Society, of which I'm part of, is is a, a sponsor of that, um, along with many other different uh, organizations like Southwest Airlines and, and of course, you know all the different chambers of commerce in the area. It's going to be really, really exciting to see. It was a very short flight, and it didn't last very long, the airline, but it made people realize that they could take an airplane from point A to point B and get there a lot quicker because remember to to get from one side of the bay to the other you had to take the land bridge basically uh to get across and you know now you know we we take it for granted that we jump in an airplane and a few hours later we could be over on the other coast i mean it's, it's incredible and and Remember back then it was it was something that was really exciting. So that precipitated uh, the you know the boom in the golden year of, of aviation up into the 30s, etc. And uh, now it's just we we expect to have the safety of flight and we expect to have all the comforts. But uh, these guys in this first airplane, they were sitting out there with the bugs in their teeth and you know they had the goggles on and the, the helmet on and flew flew across to find the information. By the way, if you can make it, that would be really cool. It's uh, airlinecentennial.org. We'll have a link to it on the website. And as a matter of fact, another interesting thing about this is that there's uh, Tony Janis was the person who was the pilot. We have an award in Tampa at the airport. It's called the Tony Janis Award, and it's given to somebody in the airline industry who has had a, a very uh, significant impact on the industry. And that uh, certain people uh, that have uh, won it is, is Herb Kellner, um, let's see, the CEO of Continental Airlines, Gordon Bethune, and, and those those type of people are the folks that have won that prize. And that's actually sitting, if you ever pass through Tampa International Airport, it's actually sitting in the airport there, the plaque. So, so Centennial airlinecentennial.org. Tells you all about the flight, and if you want to sponsor it, that'd be wonderful. It's a it's a terrific event, and we always need more volunteers. And you also can, you can learn a little bit about the history, and uh, and I'll talk about my pick of the week. It's going to be associated with this a little later. Well, very good. And uh, Victoria, you had an announcement. Yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know that um, one of our awesome sponsors here at Stuck Mike Aviation Universe is now sponsoring uh, five hundred dollars worth of prizes towards Women of Aviation Week in 2014. So um, 20 lucky individuals will get uh, $25 gift certificates, and these go to all that participated and volunteered um, through Women of Aviation Week events around the world. So big shout-out to them. Thank you so much. And uh, you know we really look forward to giving these volunteers these prizes that they deserve for introducing women to aviation. Yeah, that is great. They've been, uh, you know, not only a sponsor of the show, but they helped. Uh, they helped us put on our fiftieth fiftieth uh, show bash up here in the Chicagoland area. 
Um, I've been working with them for about the last month or so on another project that we'll be releasing for Stuck Mike Avcast at well and just, uh, uh, excuse me, real soon. And they're just fantastic people. So that's uh, it's awesome. Thanks. Thanks to Aviation Universe for always finding a way to help us out. That's fantastic. Um, we do have two more quick announcements. Uh, a reminder that if you are interested in signing up for our VIP email list, you can visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash VIP. We uh, not only send all of our content directly to your email inbox, but if you're on our VIP list, you do get first and uh, early sneak peek access to any episodes that are ready. Uh, I will say here, first and foremost, that they aren't always ready ahead of time, but (laughs) (laughs) they typically are, and uh, the folks on that list have enjoyed receiving those sneak peek access uh, of the audio. Something else that uh, Carl and I are very proud of that I did mention on the last show is our very first digital training product. It is called The Practical Guide to Winter Flying. Uh, you can check that out, practicalguidetowinterflying.com. That is the website. Uh, Carl, you weren't here last week when I got to talk about it, but uh, give us your thoughts on on what's your favorite part of the course. Well, actually, you know, the, my favorite part of the course is the fact that it's uh, something that you can be related to everybody and uh the it's what's really neat is the fact that you can learn something from every slide but uh the actual particular slides that that i really enjoyed were the ones we talked a little bit about taxing and that type of thing and and the uh as far as as making sure your aircraft is, is clean of ice and um you know as a matter of fact len yesterday i did an fa safety seminar using uh the practical guide to winter flying and uh, it was funny because when I entered the building to do the seminar, it was in, uh, in a National Aviation Academy in Clearwater. And the director walks in and he says, winter flying? Really? We're in Florida, Carl. You're going to give a seminar on winter flying? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. Come on, hang out. You just believe me. I mean, you, could, you can have winter conditions and icing conditions anywhere uh, in the United States. It, it gets cold here in Florida also. He says, oh, boy, I want to listen to this. And it was interesting to hear his reaction afterwards. He says, you know, it, you know I never thought about it, but we really do. We have, have those conditions. Just a few thousand feet above the ground, it can be freezing. Plus, you know, you don't have to go too long in an airplane to be in winter conditions. You can fly in north for an hour or two and you're in all those winter conditions there. So so what do you do and, and how do you deal with the, the, uh, the aspects of icing? But yeah, they were they were very skeptical and uh, I, was, I was glad people turned out for it. Uh, but it was a good idea to do it here. I, I, I'm not sure I would do a practical guide to winter flying in the middle of the summer. That would be a really tough sell unless <laughs> we're in Australia. We could go to Australia. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk to our friends down under for a uh, for a, a revisit. You know, maybe we'll go down there and teach the course. That that could be fun because it's always a good excuse to go down and travel somewhere. But uh, but it, it's really cool. You, you're gonna learn something. I mean, that that was the neat thing is is people you know came up and said, hey, listen, I learned something, and now I'm gonna think about certain things now uh, that I didn't think of before. And plus. You know that a lot of folks in Florida, especially, that they don't fly up north very often and are afraid to do it because of the icing. And uh, this gave them a, a couple tools to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. It's good to hear. So once again, the website is practicalguidetowinterflying.com. You can check that out there. It's now available for sale. It's a digital product, so it's instant delivery. And you can access that information uh, as often as you like. 
and uh, go through the training. So check, do check that out. Uh, speaking of sponsors, again, we'll just give a shout out to our friends over at Aviation Universe. We already know how fantastic and helpful they are. You can uh, visit them, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash Aviation Universe. Our other sponsor, Four Pilots Only, we don't want to forget them, the wonderful folks that provide a, um, a great uh, iPad kneeboard product. Uh, Rick, and specifically, we know that you've had one, but mm-hmm. I don't, I've never asked you, what's your favorite feature about, about your uh, iPad kneeboard? Well, it's 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 durable, but I, I I know you've talked about this too. That they have a replacement policy that's, you know, kind of just crazy. <laughs> just, you know, almost any anything, any reason. Right. Um, but uh, I like you know, it's the, the 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 tapered. It grabs it grabs the pad well. The tapered nature of the back that, that kind of hugs your leg. And um, no, I just think it's it, oh, I know. And the other thing is, I need to write on paper. I mean, I really tried hard to, to build, you know, to, to work with the idea of I'll just scribble on the screen of the, of the pad and it's just not practical. So I need to make, I want to make notes. And what I like about the front flap that is on the one I have, you can have paper there. So you can have paper, get it out of your way. You know, it sort of does all that. And that was an important thing for me because I couldn't get a pen and paper out of my equation Mm -hmm. in the cockpit. And I think that's probably true of a lot of people. Yeah, so so, uh, so the link to visit them is stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash four pilots only. Uh, before we get into our you know our general conversation discussion and topics, we do uh, have some listener mail that we were going to start sharing on the air. In fact, uh, Rick was going to read yeah. our first listener mail today. Yeah, this relates to um, uh, a topic we did a few um, shows ago. I think um, Victoria. Got us started on this conversation. I think about her trip to Canada, and um, and and this uh, we we got an email from a, a gentleman named Gerard, um, and I, we want to read it mostly because it has some extra information in it that we thought might be useful to people if you are thinking of um, of uh, traveling to Canada, flying yourself to Canada. So I'll just read the email from Gerard. First, I want to congratulate you all for having such an enjoyable show to listen to on a regular basis. Okay, Gerard, the check is in the mail for that one. <laughs> really a pleasure for my commute to and back from work. Um, but here's the, here's the interesting part too. Living in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, I found your recent podcast very interesting. I wanted to add a few comments to your discussion for future trips to the Canadian capital. In summary, next time you plan to come to Ottawa, try... I'll, it's, and you can pronounce it Cairo, it's a Charlie Yankee Romeo Oscar, which is Rockcliffe Airport, instead of Charlie Yanker, Yankee Oscar Whiskey. Um, it, so use the use uh, Charlie Yankee Romeo Oscar instead. Um, Charlie Yankee Romeo Oscar is an uncontrolled field located 10 minutes away with a cab ride from downtown. There are no landing fees there. The only thing you have to remember is that the circuit for 2-7 is with right turns, and they don't do uh, entries at 45 degrees downwind in Canada. The field itself is managed by the Rockcliffe Flying Club. It's a great club, passionate aviators like yourselves, and there's a mechanic on the field. Full disclaimer, I am a volunteer at the club and a board member. As pointed out during the show, the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum is all, also located at Charlie Yankee Romeo Oscar. A great, the great thing is that you can actually fly into that airport to go to visit the museum and just call, it says just call ahead so that Unicom can make sure you can get into the museum. Regarding customs clearances, you can only do it at Charlie Yankee Romeo Oscar if you have CAN Pass. I would recommend stopping in Kingston or other airports close to the border without landing fees to clear customs and then continue on your way to Ottawa if you want to avoid the high costs of Ottawa International. 
So some good information there, and uh, we want to pass that on. And thanks to Gerard for writing to us. Absolutely. Thank you, Gerard. That's awesome, Gerard. That was some great information. Gosh, you know, I've always been paid to go up there, but uh, I'm looking oh, at no. doing a trip. Yeah, yeah, I want to go check it out now and, and see what we're talking about, especially with the landing fees. You know, forget about the landing fees. I can go to yeah. Kingston. So that was awesome, Gerard. Thanks. Very good. Um, well, thank you, Gerard. We appreciate that. And we do have uh, other listener mail that we're going to be uh, sharing uh, one piece of listener mail per episode. So uh, we appreciate uh, appreciate you sending those in. Please do continue to leave us your comments, questions, show ideas, or anything like that. Uh, we love hearing from you, and uh, we'll be sharing those on the air. Now entering cruise flight. Today we were going to talk, um, this is actually, I was going to share a new learning experience that uh, just recently happened while I was out flying the line. Uh, it was about a week, uh, week and a half ago, uh, and I was in the Newark, New Jersey area, and we were we were flying up there, and when, when we pulled up the ATIS information, there was a note in the ATIS that said GLS approach by request only. And I looked at my first officer and I said, what the heck is a GLS approach? And he says, I have no idea, never heard of it. And, uh, you know, so it was something new to me. So I wrote this down in my in my little notes and I was like, I'm going to look this up later when I come home. So uh, I did a little bit of research. First of all, I'm not sure if any of my other co-hosts heard of a GLS approach. No, I have no. not. No. Mm-mm. Well, everybody's going to learn something today. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's actually um, it's actually quite new, but the premise behind it is um, it is it's a GPS based precision approach. It's not quite the same as uh, an LPV approach, which is still technically non precision, even though there is a GPS uh, glide slope indicator. So what this system is, is it's really interesting. Uh, the G stands for GBAS, which is Ground-Based Augmentation System. Now, you're familiar of WAS, which is the Wide Area Augmentation System, and LAS, which is the Local Area Augmentation System. This is basically a new derivative or, you know, sort of a next generation of the Local Area Augmentation System and um, called GBAS. So it's a ground-based augmentation system, landing system. Well, that's just redundant, but that's that's what it stands for. Uh, but it, the interesting thing about it is it is, uh, it is a ground-based GPS system. But it, unlike the uh, WAS system that uses the satellites in space, it prov- it's a ground-based station that provides enough accuracy for a precision instrument approach. And there's some really cool things about it, as a matter of fact, because um, one really fascinating piece to this new system is how it can actually support multiple runway ends. Meaning, you know, at some airports, um, say, for instance, if you have a look, if you have one runway and you have an ILS approach to each end of the runway, it's not uncommon for there to be actually two navigation systems or two frequencies. Now, what the GBAS and the GLS affords is this system actually helps eliminate the VHI frequencies because this system itself can support up to 48 approach procedures on one VHF frequency, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Because what that means is it can actually 
support approaches and airports that are even up to 23 nautical miles away. So one of the things that it does is it obviously simplifies the equipment that, that's at an airport. You need one, one you know, ground-based system now instead of multiple antennas. It supports, um, it supports all kinds of, um, excuse me, it supports multiple airports. And I was doing some reading about it. Currently right now, there's only uh, three approaches in the world that are using, or three airports in the world. That's Newark, New Jersey, uh, Houston's George Bush Intergalactic down there in Texas, <laughs> and uh, an airport in Germany. I'm just looking it up right now, if I could find it. Um, actually, I don't remember. Oh, here it is. And the Bremen Airport in uh, out in Germany. So it's it's not um, it's not widely used just yet, but it will be capable of providing category two and category three uh, precision approaches. Now, it, it the thing about it is it does require special equipment. On you know very much like when the WAS approaches came out for us uh, GPS users, you know you had to have a WAS upgrade or a WAS capable receiver. You also need uh, you you need one of these receivers and equipment in the aircraft currently. It's really only in use by transport category airplanes. But one of the most fascinating things I did learn uh, when I was reading about this is it, um, well, for instance, to, to take you back a moment, the, one of the reasons it's in use at uh, Newark's Liberty International Airport is Newark has a run, Newark has two parallel runways, two to left, two to right, and then they have an intersecting runway, runway 29. Well, that runway 29 uh, the approach path to the runway is actually out um, over the water, and it's right adjacent to a very huge steel bridge. So there is absolutely zero approaches to that runway 29 because of the it's actually due to the interference of the bridge and the radio frequencies. So Carl can attest to this, but when you do a circle to land in Newark, New Jersey, you have absolutely nothing to back you up. It is all pure visual flying skills. And so this GLS approach has been implemented there as one of the tools because it's not affected. There's, there's, uh, it, it's not susceptible to the same range of radio interference. Another fascinating thing about the GLS approach is it can actually be designed with a curve. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a straight line approach. It can be wow. an actual arc. That's cool. It's a precision. You can have exactly. You can have a precision arc approach, um, and there are some airports. Uh, there are some airports in I think it was Sweden and whatnot uh, in the area where some of the fjords are, where they've had to stop using some of the instrument approaches because flying down the mountains, uh, the mountain valleys, and the in IMC, um, just they. They stopped using those for safety concerns. So this, there's a lot of really neat implications about this system. Um, let's see if I can find another quick note about it while I'm looking at here. Um, da, 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 da. Hey, Len, the yeah. note you said you saw was by request, right? Correct. So how? To, just for those of us who don't, like me, don't do what you do, what does that request look like? How, where do you have to? Where do you have to ask for that? Um, how, how far out are you? You know. Who would you ask? I can either, well, I guess you would ask approach controller or if you had already uh -huh. been handed over to TAP. Well, no, in this case of an airport like Newark, you'd 
when you get over to the approach controller, you would uh, probably let them know you want to take the um, the GLS approach. Right. Yeah. And there's probably certain so certain situations maybe at that airport where that's in use more heavily because of the precision it provides. Absolutely. So they might even expect people to ask for it depending on how they're landing that day. That's true. And the situation where that typically happens in Newark, New Jersey, uh, is when see the re the, they they do use a circle to land runway two nine. It's more of a traffic management traffic flow tool that they have. So. Uh, they can land more aircraft because the parallel runways aren't spaced mm. apart far enough apart that uh, you can have um, simultaneous approaches. Oh. So they use one for departure, they use one for landing, and in high volume situations, they'll usually uh, send first and foremost the regional aircraft and the smaller aircraft circle to two nine. Now I did watch some uh, large heavy aircraft circle to two nine when I was there that day. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of when they get in, get into using that. Um, And that was actually kind of a, it was just an interesting day altogether because it was, uh, it was gusting in the mid thirties and it was a direct crosswind gusting in the mid thirties landing on that runway with, 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 like I said, you don't have, Anything to back you up to know if you're on glide or not. You've got your eyeballs, and you've got um, you know you've got a vasi out there, so you don't have the usual tools you're used to in a transport category world. Uh, the runway is short, and it's just it's always a kind of one of those puckering experiences. It's one of those runways where I always say to the other guy or gal I'm flying with. There's no points for style. I just want you to plant this on the runway and, you know, stomp on the brakes and let's get this sucker stopped. And it's funny because when you come in on the other side, when you come in on runway 1-1, you nearly drag your wheels over the roof of the Ramada Inn. Um, between the hotel and the power lines, you are that low coming in. So it's just a, it's a tricky runway altogether. Uh, but fascinating wow. new technology. And um, like you I know, said, go ahead. I was going to say, Len, the, the, I was actually, while you were doing this, looking at the approach plates for each of those. And, and the thing that really stands out to me is the fact that you can, you can get a lot lower uh, as far as ceilings are concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the R&P you were just talking about, and uh, I've done some R&P approaches where you actually have a, a curving approach. And it's pretty interesting to have that as you're as you're flying, and it it's it's really freaky because you have to know that if you're going to do a go round, you have to know when and where and how that type of thing, uh, and how to navigate after you do a go round, especially while you're cur- on a curve. Uh, but this will get you down like 300 feet. Uh, I've seen on on one plate that actually gets you down 300 feet lower on a GLS as opposed to an RMP or RNAV approach. That's that's significant. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're using them as precision approaches and they are, like I said, capable of category two and category three once implemented. Uh you know, the funnest note that I had read, I was doing some research and I'll include this in the show notes and the links on the website. There's a uh, question and answer section um from the FAA on the FAA's website. But there was also an article written, I think back in two thousand nine by a Continental Airlines pilot talking about they were using um, they were using this approach out in Guam. This is one of their test sites. And the funny thing, you know, they're talking about this and how great it is and, and what it can do. And one of the one of the takeaways, one of the uh, selling points for them, actually, uh, you know, this particular facility, this particular, excuse me, approach um, uh, navigational aid was the fact that I, as I mentioned. There is a very minimal 
amount of equipment that you need now to support all these approaches. So the article went on to talk about in an area like that, a tropical area where they got a lot of tropical weather and depressions and um, hurricanes and that kind of stuff, they can literally, in a mere few hours, roll up the GLS approach and put it in storage so that it's protected from any damage when it, when it, if a storm comes through. Something that you obviously can't do with an ILS that has ground-based antennas where everything is fixed. Um, and that kind of, and that's the, um, excuse me, and that sort of thing. So kind of a strange but interesting takeaway, you know, it's, it's portable <laughs> and you can, you can put it away when wow. the storm hits. So, you know, just, you know, it's really fascinating things that I learned about this. And, uh, it's one of those things where you're flying along and you're like, what the heck is that? So, you know, even after all these years, I still learn stuff on a daily basis, uh, really interesting new technology. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing it as it does come out more i was just trying to find uh let's see it projects well uh, there's some dates in here but i don't know that it um there's nothing really concrete about when it's gonna it's gonna be more widely used but um yeah just a new technology and it's it's definitely cool so we'll we'll include the uh, Include all that in the show notes. Cool. I think that's so neat about the portability. I remember when the uh, the glide slope got knocked out at Newark. Yeah. And that put, put people out for a while. If they had a portable unit, maybe they could have an extra and just fire it up and go. Absolutely. That's yeah. really Technology. neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, think of how far we've come. Like back in the day, like Wilbur and stuff, they had to like look for fires. Yeah. And, you know, to know where to land. And now we have portable things. It's just mind blowing. That help us land without seeing anything. Yeah, exactly. Wow, no fires necessary. No, no. more, no more fires. Um, very cool. Well, uh, awesome. so Rick was going to share a quick. I think it was a quick story of <laughs> uh, something that sort of came across his radar. It was really a a, a, um, a wild item, and uh, consequently. Carl was uh, was going to comment on that as well. So, Rick, yeah. tell us what it was that you you had seen that had well, kind of blown your mind, if you will. Yeah. So this is uh, all regarding the um, accident on November third in uh, I guess northern Wisconsin. It was basically a skydiving plane accident where um, there was a midair and um, and a whole and and a whole lot of people were in both planes and everybody ended up on the ground safely. And so it was just, it was a big story and kind of amazing. And then I just finally today, and maybe everybody saw this since that, that initial incident, but saw um, multiple angles from GoPros, I assume, um, <clears throat> strapped onto several of the diver, you know, skydivers uh, of, of the incident. And it's just, it <laughs> just blew me away. It's re just remarkable, not surprising that, that one, people would have cameras on, especially skydivers, and two, that that the images would be captured well, but just to see them, it was just uh, incredible. Because for those of you who haven't seen it, you should check it out if you, if you want to. Um, but from a couple different angles, uh, you see it, and I don't know who was approaching who, what movement in what direction, but basically from above the plane that the videos were in, you see it coming down on top of another plane in midair as uh, divers are hanging on the side of the, of the top plane getting ready to jump. And the, the, the divers don't really notice I, I think initially what's going on until that there's an impact and then basically all all hell breaks loose and uh, and there are flames and 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 then they all get out and all those cameras are attached to people that are then you know doing their free fall and uh 
the images of the burning wreckage of the of the plane that did catch fire looked like it lost a wing, um, you know, are very dramatic. And and then of course the end of the story is everybody uh, made it okay and uh, incredible. So I don't know if you guys want to comment on seeing that, but I, you know, it's it's gonna it's I guess my thoughts and Carl can you're gonna talk about this too. It's just with cameras getting smaller and smaller and more and more people enjoying videotaping their flying. Certainly something that I've done for a long time it's very more it's it's more and more likely that these dramatic kind of moments will get captured and uh and shared and it's incredible i wonder i also wonder how the camera will affect the uh the inquiry uh, as to what happened but anyway carl i don't know carl if you had any thoughts and that was that was one of the things i was going to mention too is it's just like the cockpit voice recorder uh you have now you have a video and and how are they going to use those systems later on like you said in 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 the i'm sure there's going to be a lawsuit uh following this but, uh, you know, how is it that that's going to be used and, and can they use that information? I mean, shoot, you can't even use the NTSB information now uh, within a lawsuit, even if the probable cause was the accident was caused by the pilot error. But, you know, yeah. that, that it, it, one of the things that was, was amazing in that video, uh, Rick, and you, you can talk about this too, and, and Sean, if you've been behind a camera and something dramatic happens, what, what's it, you know, what's it like to think, oh, my gosh, this is affecting me, but, oh, my gosh, now I need to get the shot. You know, well, I wonder I, what, what was going through their, their heads. Yeah, I, mean, I started my, like that. Yeah, I started my career as a camera guy, and I know, you know, Bob has experience doing this, and, and um, you know, Sean does too. And my, my sense of it, even back then when there was uh, pretty intense stuff to shoot, was the for me the camera was a bit of a buffer, that it was – that actually it just was more natural to keep that camera there and keep – keep trying to capture things. Um, and it, it would have been harder to put that down in some way. Now, in the case of these guys, everything's strapped in and they're just mostly it. There, there is no choice to make. You just keep trying to save yourself and the camera keeps rolling. But I don't know if Sean, if you have any thoughts about being a yeah. camera person in a, in a dramatic situation and how that affects you. I think you hit it on the head. It, it it's sort of a buffer. Um, you know, depending on what you're using, you're seeing it through a viewfinder, you're looking at a screen on the exterior, yeah. and you're experiencing it almost secondhand. Right. Um, it's, like, it's like a video game unfolding in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Now, like you said, you know, I'm presuming these were probably helmet-mounted, so if I'm these skydivers, I'm looking at it, and by default, the camera's shooting it. Um, but uh, still, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what would be going through my head where i would be looking you know up down who knows yeah. but i mean uh, I, but. i've done some shooting where i've been a passenger and um the the pilot has had some fun and pulled a few g's and mm-hmm. and i didn't know it was coming and <laughs> and when you're holding a camera it and you don't know something like that's coming yeah the shot goes away because yeah. y- you know <laughs> you initially you just the, the force of things pull things in different directions and then you know if you know it's coming you can kind of you know kind of ready for it and all that mm-hmm. but in this case i assume these were all nicely strapped on and rolling ahead of time and mm-hmm. and that's why they ended up continuing to capture what they captured and uh, the second camera the one that was further back wow that i mean you the, you get a whole shot of all the people still on that top plane and the plane below catching fire and, oh, just, you know, it looks like yeah, a movie. For, for this to be captured at so many different angles is just, you know, really what makes it interesting. And yeah. um, I think like Carl, you were alluding to as well, I did, I'm sure it'll help the investigators when they try and figure out what happened here. Um, you can you can see things in real time in the real world from so many different angles. Now, maybe there's some parallax issues or something, but um, – Certainly, yeah, it, it helps very precisely um, 
uh, do a time calculation yeah. based on based yeah. on the speed of the videotape and all that. You can actually at this point, this many seconds, you know, something's happening. So that'll that'll be helpful if they're allowed to use it. I, I don't know how that works. I right. you know. Right. One thing that's interesting about this too is the the fire that ensued afterwards. That that this uh, when they they hit each other, there was a fire, and uh, you know there was another instance where there were parachutes, like with the whole aircraft parachute, where it didn't help them. Uh, they actually burn up on the way down. If you remember yeah. the accident where the Cirrus and the and the glider, and so it kind of bring, it brings up the question, you know, gosh, you know, should should we be carrying parachutes, you know, when, when we're doing formation flying, should we be yeah. carrying? parachutes and and also when do we use these parachutes um, and when do we deploy them and is there much training as to when when we should do that i mean these guys that do this the skydiving they're they're really used to you know working in, in real time and and jumping out and they, you know they have, their adrenaline's going i mean when you when something happens in flight you're usually calm collect and also bang just like you know hitting another airplane and i i know uh two people actually that have been involved in mid-air collisions and uh, you know, one person that uh, he said he, he just didn't know what happened, and there was no, nothing to where he just landed, and luckily uh, everything turned out okay. You know, wings didn't fall off, that type of thing. But but I'm just thinking, gosh, if he had a parachute and a wing did fall off, could he get out of that situation? Well, you know, and, so let me ask you, because I didn't read a lot about this, but obviously the um, the jumpers are more equipped to you know, exit the situation, especially the ones that were already outside, but other ones had to get out of planes that were moving. Um, and one, one plane was intact enough to, to be landed, but the other one wasn't. And I guess I wonder, I, you know, obviously that pilot had a shoot and got out, right? Right. Had, had exactly. to because that plane yes. crashed. And so, so, you know, that, that's the moment, that's the person who had to work a bit harder because exactly. <laughs> there was a little bit more time involved in a descent, a fast descent to get out of there and, and survive pretty I'm amazing. I'd love to hear that story firsthand. And not well, to mention the, the airplane's was, tumbling. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead, Victoria. Right. No, I was just wondering, is it a requirement when you're carrying skydivers because of the sudden change of the center of gravity? Are you required to have a parachute if you're flying skydivers? I, you're the pilot? I don't think so. So I wonder yeah, if he the, was just lucky that he had one on? That's a good question. Right, that's, right. that's a good question because I know guys that fly skydivers and they don't wear shoots, so. No, I, okay, I, so it's not a requirement. Yeah, I don't think it's a requirement. Able to but, start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing is that should it be that type of requirement, et cetera. But, you know, exiting the aircraft, by the way, you know, and I'm sure, Len, you've done aerobatics too, is that, you know, I wear shoot every so often, but I've never jumped out of an airplane. And this gets me thinking, gosh, you know, I go over in my head, what do I need to do? I need to pull this off. I need to unlatch. I need to unlatch the door and get out. Um, but, uh, it'd be nice if those doors were already open and, and easy, you know, to, to get out of, but gosh, you know, what, <laughs> what do I do? You know, I, I, I'm now going to go back and say to myself, how would I roll out of this air, aircraft? Like on a high, on a low wing aircraft, I know, you know, I would roll to the side and, and, and hopefully not hit anything behind me, that type of thing. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's things that I'm starting to think about and I'm sure a lot of other people that, that do airbags might think about it also at this point. And I, I have a feeling just in watching that video that they all got pretty lucky that their path was what it was. I don't know how the aerodynamics of where the planes were and where they were, but, you know, you got to let go because that's the right call. But you don't quite know if you're going to hit something else, some debris yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you got to propellers. So. Right. <laughs> but you got to let go. So, you know, there isn't mm -hmm. much choice. But they, I think they all got pretty lucky on the second level of that, which is no impact with something else. Yeah. yeah right. You know, pretty wild.
It is pretty wild. And, and I, I just think it's so dramatic to see something like that. And, and I don't know about you guys, but my heart was pumping yeah, uh, when I was watching. The first time it wasn't, though. The first time I was like, wait a minute, what just happened? And then you go back and watch it again. It's like, oh, my God. That that just that just happened, you know. You, at first, you're just sitting there and like, oh my gosh, this can't be happening. The same thing I, I think happens when you're flying and something breaks. And I'm sure in this case, I'm sure some of those guys said, no, wait a minute, you know, is this really happening? Okay, this is my reality. The plane just hit another airplane, and I need to jump out and get moving. I'm sure there's there's that second where you're like, this can't be happening. Is this a movie? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Uh, I'd love to listen to some of their stories. Uh, you know, the, the most fascinating thing, I don't know if you guys saw that interview, is when they asked them if they would jump again, everybody raised their hand. You know, <laughs> all, all the folks would go back and, and, yeah. and jump again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of the odds, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah that's right. They were going to jump anyway. <laughs> that's right. true. <laughs> out of it turns out not a perfectly good airplane. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they normally say. But yeah, no, I, you know, one way to look at it is, yeah, what are the odds that's going to happen again? Not really very good, but amazing. Well, the, wow. the two times I've been skydiving, it's it's a controlled exit, and you're not fighting aerodynamic or I should say gravitational forces of, say, for instance, if you you know, we're in a collision, and the aircraft was tumbling. Like Carl said, there's things you have to think about. Um, and I've off you know often wondered about that as well as how difficult would it be? Uh, it's kind of like sort of like maybe the water training that you might have experienced, Carl, you know, you're disoriented, right. you might be in the water upside down. How do I get out? What's my orientation? Like that could be, it could be very disorienting. Yeah. I'd love to hear stories from people who have jumped out of airplanes that actually came apart because, uh, you know, what, what was it like? And did you just use, you have a plan, you execute your plan. I mean, that's what I was always taught when I started doing aerobatics is just have your plan as far as exiting the aircraft and and execute that plan immediately and uh you know it's you know get out get out you know there's like the eject 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 and you know you you're out you're out of the airplane and and you know exactly what to hold on to and where to go because everything else in the world is is tumbling around you especially if you lose the wing um so i i think i think these guys did a great job i think i think it was it was awesome that they were able to get out i i just am happy that those two pilots had a parachute and they were able to make it there on the ground safely. I think that's terrific, too. I think it was, like you guys said, it was, it was their lucky day uh, to have those but, parachutes on. And everybody, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I wonder what, what people think. I mean, I'd like to hear what, what some of our listeners think about the, uh, you know, should people be that are doing, say, formation flying? I mean, we have a formation flying team here in Tampa. Should they be wearing parachutes? Uh, should there be training that uh, tells them how to get out of the aircraft? I mean, or, look, or look at any, aerobatic training. Yeah, if anybody has had a situation where, you know, there was there was some danger in their skydiving that they didn't expect, you know, whatever, and what, how'd that go? You know, what, what was it? I'd be interested to hear people's stories. Mm. Nothing like this, I'm sure, but, um, you know, something. <laughs> Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, the the only other person I know that, that was involved in the midair he didn't get out of the aircraft. He was in a 172 and, and he, um, was hit by a fighter. But the fighter, actually, he uh, he ejected. And he had a parachute. And this other gentleman I know, he did not have a parachute. And obviously wasn't able to, to make it out of that accident. Uh, but it, it's it's like, would he have been able to get out, though, if he did have a parachute? Because imagine somebody coming up behind you and all of a sudden hitting you and taking your wing off. And now you have to realize what's happening. The world starts tumbling. 
You know, how do you how do you finally catch up with what's going on? The people that I think are jumping are already are a, they have their adrenaline mm-hmm. and their their awareness is already up. I'm not sure I would have that awareness uh, mm-hmm. if that had happened to me. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was saying. So you're a situation that you weren't expecting just happened, and you have to recognize it, and then you have to. Uh, you know, just having the parachute is obviously one step, but ejecting the aircraft and finding your way out. Um, anybody who's been to an amusement park knows the various gravitational forces on a rapidly moving object. And and if you're falling out of the sky or tumbling quickly, there's a lot of a lot of forces that you have to overcome to get your seatbelt off and get a door or window open and pull yourself out of the aircraft before you can even, you know, have a hope of deploying that parachute and, and, uh, and making it safely. So that's, um, I don't even know how you would train for that. I guess, uh, go up on an aerobatic flight. Uh, you need, you need Hmm. some sort of training, I suppose, for, uh, I guess maybe you get, you go and do a few less skydiving lessons and then you can, Go up in an aerobatic airplane and crawl out. I don't know. I don't even know how you would right. do that. And how you know, difficult. does does it go matter? Ahead, no, it doesn't matter how you exit that plane if it's spinning. You know, is there a point where you should exit? Right. In a rotation. I, I, you know, I have no idea if that's known. If people know that, if it's practiced, it must be. But anyway, but you know, the acrobatic guys must know. You know, if they get in trouble and something's happening, how to how to get out. Anyway, sorry, Sean. No, no, I was going to go ahead, Victoria. Sorry. (laughs) I was just thinking the trick is not necessarily um, getting out, but to know when to get out and when to make a landing. Because obviously I don't think your first thing you're going to want to do is eject or, you know, jump out if something goes wrong. You're trained to land the plane. You're trained to trust the glide and things like that, except for in the case of losing a wing or something. But then I'm concerned and I thought about this in the glass air because glass airs are aerobatic aircraft. So if we were to do aerobatics in the glass air and even had our parachutes on, um, they have gull wing doors. So these doors move up. And so while you're flying, going through the air, you have all that pressure pressing down on your door. Could you even get the door open or in a position where the glass air is like a, like a race car? You have to strap it on basically and your legs are under the cockpit you know front so how could you even get out in time like that that would take i i can't imagine even practicing that because um there would be so much going on so i'd be thinking about let's land this thing Mm -hmm. i'm not jumping out (laughs) and then where does the plane go once you're out the plane's going to continue dropping (laughs) along with you so yeah, it's it's a wonder that no one in that um, accident got hit by debris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to wonder where your responsibility lies as a pilot in that sense as well. Mm-hmm. Well, in your case, because yeah. in Victoria, in your case, could you put in a, like a ballistic recovery system, a BRS system in your aircraft? That might be an option. Yep. Uh, as far as coming in, because that that saves a lot of lives, and I think that uh, people don't deploy and that should. And uh, or haven't deployed them that should and, and, and it didn't save their life because they didn't. Um, but there's a, you know because a lot of us think we're pilots that we can take the airplane and, and make it do anything we want it to do and we're always in control. I talk to guys that have a ton of experience on certain airplane that have ballistic recovery shoots and they say I, I probably would never use that. 
was like, gosh, you know, that, that attitude maybe not it isn't good. You know, there are situations that you, you, you can imagine not getting yourself out of, and that's, that's why you have the shoot there. You know, some of the stuff – so some of this stuff that these guys did might have happened so quickly that, you know, they just, it was just instinct. They did what they had, you know, what they felt was necessary to save themselves. The interesting story, there's a lot of them, a lot of interesting stories, but the the pilot who landed the other plane had time to do just what Victoria was saying, which is evaluate the status of his plane, right? A bad thing just happened. Everybody's out of the plane. Let's how am I doing? And stay cool enough to figure out, yeah, I'm going to, I can get this down. You know, it's okay. There's and and was more aware of what had happened and the, you know able to think through it. Very very interesting psychology all across the board there. Well, at some point you have, I don't you know I think you had a valid point about worrying where the airplane's going to go. But at some point you yeah. have to just just let go. Exactly like you. <laughs> uh, you know, there's where, a guy. There's a guy in one of those shots who I I swear I could imagine. The moment where you know you can just see him hanging on the strut, and then he lets go because mm-hmm. he, you know, he knows yeah. he got to go. Well, this kind of reminds me of an interesting thing that I hadn't shared on the blog yet, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but it's a story, a, a very brief story of the uh, of the cornfield bomber, which was a Convair F-106 Delta Dart. Um, interesting story is actually video that we're going to put on Stuck Mike Avcast here real soon. I had just. Uh, just was watching it today, in fact. Uh, the real quick story is the pilot uh, got in a situation where he was in a flat spin in this airplane and tried to recover, tried to recover, was unable to recover, and ejected from the airplane. And after he ejected from the airplane, it leveled off, ran out of fuel, and landed without damage in a frozen <laughs> Montana field, and that airplane <laughs> flew again. Okay. Wow. I mean, what are the chances? Seriously, what are the chances of that? Wow. It's just outrageous. Wow. Um, it is outrageous. Crazy. So I'll share that. Uh, that's, that one's going to be coming up on the blog real soon. But just kind of reminded me of ejecting from the airplane and where's the airplane go? This is the only time I've ever heard one land itself without the pilot um, <laughs> after they Thanks. ejected. So really, really crazy. Check it out. You can actually search for it, uh, the Cornfield Bomber, if you're really curious. But uh, I will put that on on the website. So, um, other than that, I, I think anybody else have any comments? No, but I, I'd love to get an interview with one of the people that was involved in that. That'd be awesome. Let's try to get them. We on. could work on that. Yeah. We could That'd work be on that. Very interesting to hear their stories, but, uh, fascinating. And I think tonight I'm going to go home and, and think about, or I am home. Wait a minute. I'm just, <laughs> tonight, when I, <laughs> I am. I'm just, wait a minute. So Wait a minute, I'm here already. See the effect it has on me already? I'm so upset about this video. I'm watching it here saying, oh, my God, how did they do that? Just watching the flames coming out of that, that wing, I was like, whoa, just just shocking. And uh, that's that, that, and something that a lot of people don't realize, guys. You, you know, that's another thing that might happen is, is the airplane catch fire after after you collide with somebody right. else. It's all that fuel in the wing. Right. You know? <laughs> Oof. Anyway, sorry, I just I got thrown off there watching the video. So there's like, there's dang. a there's a lot going on. That's for sure. There's a <laughs> lot Boy. going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but great job by everybody in that. That's yeah. For sure. yeah, yeah. And everybody was really fortunate that that nobody got hurt. Uh, that's that in Amen. itself is uh, is a miracle. Our picks of the week. Well, let's jump on over to our picks of the week, Victoria. Let's hear about yours. Sorry. Mute Church. button. <laughs> Darn dog. Uh, <laughs> um, you sounded just like him. Thank you. Yeah, he's he's finally chilling out. Anyway, um, my pick of the week is there's two reasons I picked this. One selfish reason, 
and one I was there and it was really cool. And it's uh, the College Park Aviation Museum. It's in College Park, Maryland and at the College Park Airport, which is now inside um, the restricted D.C. area. And you actually have to have a special pin to fly in there. Um, and it's a shame because you can see how much the airport has suffered from all these insane requirements to be able to land at this airport. So luckily enough, Bob has the pin and we have visited the College Park Aviation Museum. It is awesome. There's some great exhibits there. Um, there's a lot of hands-on things for kids and I even fit into the children's sized uh, leather bomber jackets and put on the like the helmet and the scarf and you get to look like a you know, a little fighter pilot. So it's a great museum. I suggest it if you're ever in the area. Um, definitely worth flying to if you have a pin. The second reason I'm mentioning this, because it is the place that we're going to have the Women of Aviation Week opening ceremony. So um, it's the perfect place because there's airplanes around, airplanes hanging from the ceiling, airplanes on the ground, lots of stuff for our kids to do that visit. And um, we're going to have a bunch of guest speakers and really looking forward to it and need all the help we can get. So if any listeners are nearby or have businesses that want to sponsor, um, supporting the College Park Aviation Museum and Women of Aviation Week would be awesome. Sweet. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's really cool. Hmm. Uh, Rick, tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah, I've got. I'm, I'm actually going to do two picks real quick, um, because one, and they're both they're both Apple fanboy. But I'll just go ahead and own that right at the beginning. <laughs> um, one is, and although this might exist, this software might exist for Android as well. But it's a it's a little weather app called Perfect Weather, and it's uh, it's one of the ones that was available early. That's that's designed for iOS seven in the sense that it looks and feels like that flat. Uh, look and there's a lot of nice layering in it in terms of how they lay out all the data but <clears throat> they just pushed out an upgrade today that I just think is interesting and I will probably use in situations where I think I'm not going to have access to um, to you know a cellular connection or Wi-Fi for a short period but but there's weather coming you can forward the map as an animated GIF or GIF depending on your preference, which is kind of cool. So whatever animation you're looking at, you click a button and it makes a little moving file that can be t you can be sent around, which is pretty cool. I don't know another radar app that lets you forward a, a basically a capture of that movement. So hmm. that's one thing. Did I lose you guys? No. No. no I heard no, I heard a Skype. I heard a Skype noise, and and uh -oh. it almost sounded like crickets. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's called it's called perfect. Happens perfect. every time you talk, Rick. Every it is. Time. I know. Ooh. I know. We we all just got bored and left. Don't remind me. Everybody's like, okay, Rick's talking, so now we can go, you know, check on the dog and see how the wife is doing and get another beer. No, okay. So the other one is um is the fact that when this is coming out, I think we're within a few days of, um the. Um, iPad mini retina being available. And the only reason I bring that up is, is I know that a number of um, pilots that sort of bought iPads early on around the time you know, I did and some others, the full size ones realized that in the cockpit there, those are, they can be kind of unwieldy and large, difficult to use. Certainly those of us who've tried yoke mounting them realize that it's pretty much the size of a yoke and that gets in the way and it's not, not ideal. And so the mini seems to be a better option to run for flight and other apps, but until now, it hasn't been Retina, which, which it means that basically the detail's not there in many cases to see um, sectionals and other other charts accurately. So anyway, 
be on the lookout. I'm not sure as I record this, I don't know when Apple's going to put that on sale, but they have said by, you know, in the end of November. So sometime after the 15th, when this comes out, um, be on the lookout for a, a chance to buy those. And word is they aren't going to have a big supply right away. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. it. I just think it's relevant because I think people are, I know a number of people, uh, Rod is thinking, I, at least I saw a tweet from him that he was anxiously awaiting a mini with retina. So. Mm -hmm. For example, yeah, I had I had thought that uh, when the mini came out as a Retina, that I would I would do the same thing. And it's funny because my pick of the week uh, has gone in the completely opposite direction. <laughs> since um, I don't use my iPad uh, mm -hmm. as much as uh, as much as everybody else gets to as an aviator, uh, we don't we can't use them at at the day job, and um, there's not enough general aviation flying to uh to sustain to sustain its usage and with doing podcasting stuff and creating content it's also not the the best platform right. for me so i actually recently decided um i think it was about a month or two ago to sell my ipad and i have gotten rid of mine and the the thing that i did do though because i do enjoy reading and i don't care for always you know carrying around a whole a bag of books with me, especially at work in my suitcase. It's all about the weight. Um, I got a Kindle Paperwhite um, nice. e-reader. Nice. And I got to thinking, you know, we're all quite familiar with the iPad and all the apps that are f that are available uh, on that, etc. Now, granted, there's not going to be a flight planning app for the Kindle, but what I did find was the coolest website today. And in fact, you don't even have to be a Kindle owner to use it. It's for all e-readers, but it's called chartbundle.com. Nice. And it um, it's, uh, allows you to download the, um, the government approach plates, and you can use them on any e-reader, whether it's a Kindle or a Nook or an iPad. It provides all the formats necessary, both a PDF, an EPUB, a Mobi file, anything like that. And what you can do is you can download the approach plates, you can download the um, airport facility directory, um, whatever you want. The one cool thing that I found on here was, um, uh, let's see, I'm just trying to find, here we go, enter your own airports to generate a custom approach plate file. So I like, for, for instance, if you're going to go for a flight and you're going from, um, Nantucket to Bridgeport, Connecticut to Montauk and back, and you don't want to take a whole book of things, you can go in there, type in those three airports. It will output a file for only those three airports and all the plates in there. And like I said, it's not even just a Kindle thing, but it's for all e-reader uh, products depending on the output that you select. And I just thought it was really cool function um, and a way to, to, you know, to get plates for free and to kind of build your own custom uh, yeah. you know, custom approach package. So that's chartbundle.com. And it's I bet you people don't know about that. Yeah, I didn't either. I just got yeah. searching around today looking that's for cool. Kindle approach plates and found this and thought they were really cool. This is going to be an interesting year because a lot of these devices are, are starting to overlap in terms of power. They're reaching a sort of saturation point on speed and mm -hmm. picture, uh, image quality on the screen. You know, in fact, the mini and the full size, the, the iPad Air, the new large size, same specs, just mm -hmm. a smaller screen. Right. Same processor, same store. You can get the same storage. So it's really just now a matter of what function, what do you need it for? Mm -hmm. And so the Kindle is a great device, much lighter and much better in many ways. And uh, and there's others out there. So it's it's all very cool. There's lot, lots to choose from and yeah. not enough money. Not enough <laughs> 
But anyway, that's well, maybe you know it's Santa season around the corner, so you can that's start, true. Start that list, and I don't, if you've been naughty, then I don't know what you'll get. But if you've been a good boy, maybe that Kindle, uh, that Retina iPad Mini will show up. Well, I don't know. I, I think the the little the little mouse that runs my 2007 MacBook uh, Pro is getting a little tired. <laughs> so he may he may get a break. So anyway, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, Sean, tell us about your pick of the week. Mine is an iPhone app. It's been around for a few years, I believe. Uh, it's called Plane Finder AR. Um, it's cool. It uses the uh, the iPhone, and I, you know, it could be on other platforms as well. I don't know, but it uses the accelerometer to, uh, you know, you 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 see an image like you're taking a picture, and you can move it around. Uh, like if you know what augmented reality is, you can see airplane information overlaid on the screen. Um, it uses ADSB information. So for listeners here in the U S it may be kind of sparse. Um, but I've seen a few on there and it's cool. You can see, you know, if it's an airliner, you can see what carrier it is. You can see the altitude, the airspeed, where it's heading, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you ever sitting in your backyard and you see a contrail going over and you're wondering who that is, where they're going, how high they are, um, if they're using ADSB, uh, chances are you can find that out with this app, and it is again Plane Finder AR. Yeah, and you just you use the app, you open the app, and you point the phone at the aircraft that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I have seen that, and I've always thought it was. Cool. I think I played with it uh, when it first came out, um, and it's it's really neat. In fact, I guess I haven't really paid a lot of attention to uh, augmented reality in in the last year or so, but there's a lot of cool things. Uh, that use that that kind of um, that kind of system, so it's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, well, very good. And cool. uh, we don't want to leave Carl out, so let's hear from Carl about your pick of the week. Well, you know, with all this technology that you're talking about, pointing at the sky and finding out what's flying above you, or your point and click skills, and uh, your your ability to be a, a dog triloquist like uh, Mr. Rick Felty here, mine seems a little bit. <laughs> Boring. I'm. I'm. I'm feeling kind of. I don't know. Technologically challenged at this point. You know. You can, <laughs> and, we'll do an offline course about barking. Yeah. Okay? Bark. <laughs> no problem. Thanks. Well, my gosh, mine's a book that you read pages out of, oh, okay. and it's it's not not really that. It, Who does that you know, anymore? Yeah, who does it? <laughs> but oh but for my. those of you like me who who have a, a how twentieth century of you <laughs> and and don't have don't use an iPad or a Kindle or this other phone thing that you read with you know you can actually buy books these days and 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 learn things from them. But uh, my book actually is uh, Tony Janis uh, an American Flyer. It's a, it's a really cool book. You can actually find it on a website Amazon.com and I. There's no Kindle version, I don't think, of this. You actually have to buy the hardcover and, and get it in the mail and pick it up and actually read it. But uh, it's really, really interesting. It's about, you know, we, we leave in the past a lot of times these early American flyers uh, because some of them had uh, short-lived lives, you know, and this is what happened to Tony Janice, and he's the one that actually did the first uh, airline flight from St. Petersburg to Tampa. So if you get a chance, we're going to have a link to it, uh, uh, to Amazon.com. Tony Janus, American Flyer, all of his exploits as far as uh, being at the forefront of uh, the technology of the day, uh, flying an airplane from point A to point B. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know what? I just thought one more thing. I do have a second pick of the week real quickly. Uh, Flight Training Magazine, I probably should have made this announcement in the beginning. That is a really cool resource. It's great if, you, if you're a pilot. You should always be learning, and that's one of the things that they promote. I'm actually going to be in the December issue. I uh, was interviewed 
uh, by uh, ALP flight training about aviation careers, and they're using some of the information. I think they even quoted me in the article coming up in the December issue of uh, 2013. Very cool. At uh, flighttraining.aopa.org. We've got a celebrity in the house. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just one quick quote. I just did some some technical research for that mm-hmm. uh, to help out with the article, and uh, they just I think quoted me once on it. Oh, that's cool. Famous Carl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be looking for that. That one hey, quote. Need your autograph. I was, oh, I was on. I was on UStream. Does that make me famous? That's true. <laughs> He's famous now, Victoria. So you cannot boss him around at these women of aviation <laughs> events. Perhaps okay. Don't look him in the eye. Hurt your eyes. Look <laughs> chair? What's a chair? What's a chair? <laughs> He'll be I've like, "No, you up. get me a chair. <laughs> Bring me my chair." <laughs> the after landing checklist. Well, that's uh, that's all we have for you today. Of course, links um, and the show notes are available for this episode at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 60. That's six zero. When you get there, don't forget to like, tweet, and share the show. Plus, you can leave us a comment on the blog because we love hearing from you. Uh, also, if you'd enjoyed this episode, one thing you can do to support the Stuck Mike Avcast is visit our sponsors and affiliates that we have listed on the website. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or even show ideas, you can reach us by visiting stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. When you get there, you'll be able to send us an email. You can leave us a voicemail. You can write us snail mail if you're so inclined and even uh, reach each one of the co-hosts individually. A very special thank you to our sponsors, Four Pilots Only and Aviation Universe, for so graciously supporting the podcast. From myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, and Victoria Zyko, thanks for tuning in to episode number 60 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Until next time, fly smart and fly safe. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast, a Len Costa production.